Hello and welcome to the Tillage Age with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. Winter cereal planting is coming to a close after excellent conditions all throughout the autumn this year. The overall area of planting is expected to be up this year, especially in winter oilseed rape and winter barley, both seeing large increases. There's quite a few crops that have been emerged for some weeks now, but there's also some farmers still planting the last of the crops after maize or root crops. The warm weather and the fact that some crops have been planted early is raising concerns among farmers and industry around the country as regards the level of aphids and the possibility of severe BYDV in crops this year. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Louise McNamara, an entomologist from Oak Park, who will chat about the threat posed by aphids this year. Louise, you're very welcome to the podcast. I just want to put a little bit of context on the problem in front of farmers this year as regards the potential damage that BYDV can inflict on different cereal crops. And also, you might just maybe consider the differences between the risks that farmers face in different parts of the country as well. BYDV can affect any cereal because the aphids that vector it um, live in, can live in any cereals or grasses. And the damage in cereals can be up to 80%. Uh, yield loss with very severe infections. I suppose previous work by Chagas has shown that you can get major uh, losses in grain um, above two tons per hectare for wheat and oats and up to five tons per hectare losses for winter barley. Um, in terms of different parts of the country, different counties, um, we have trials from 2016 to 2019 done in Cork and Carlow, which has been analysed and showed that there was a significant difference in terms of yield and BYDB for different locations. And that makes sense, I suppose, because um, different locations may have different kind of climates as in, um, say, Cork, where we had our site was very close to the coast and close to the coast may mean less frost and milder winters, which would mean more if it's more BYDB. So essentially what you're saying is the warmer you are, the or the warmer your area are that you live in, the chances are you're going to have a much higher risk. Yes, exactly. So yeah, uh, both the, the weather and the location can affect it in that way. Because the, the milder it is, the more, the more chance if it can survive over the winter, and also the more likely they are to be spreading virus and reproducing. So with that in mind, then, looking at the weather conditions over the last Oh, geez, I suppose six months, I suppose, in Ireland um, being quite mild and that, that probably poses a much bigger challenge this year than other years. Yeah, so when we look at um, aphid monitoring, so we have a new um, suction tower network around the country. We have traps in uh, a trap in Carlow, Cork and Ashton, and these are 12.2 metre traps. And what they do is they record the migratory aphids with the long distance flight. And we only have a couple of years of data, so we couldn't yet say for sure um, how these numbers definitely affect BYDV and yield. But what we can see is that last year compared to this year in Carlow, the numbers of grain aphids are much higher this summer um, around the time of the, the open day when we had um, temperatures above 20 degrees. There was a big burst in flight of aphids. So a lot higher numbers of grain aphids flying this year than last year in the summer. So it'll be interesting to see how that impacts then the disease pressure in the autumn. As I said, it's only two years of data, so we can't yet say for sure, but it'll be interesting to see how the temperature linked with the aphid numbers then affects um, disease pressure in the field. Okay, so you have these flying aphids tripping around the place where they're 12 metres higher, they're just coming from maybe a grassland field beside or even a margin beside the uh, cereal crop. So when the aphid flies into the crop, is it that aphid that does the damage? And if so, how long does it take for that aphid to inflict that damage? 
Okay, so firstly, um, when we talk about uh, the different aphids that can cause damage in the cereal crops, you can get um, BYD, BYDV infection in, in two main ways. So you've got primary infection and secondary infection. And we talk about primary infection, that would be those individual aphids flying in or moving in, um, maybe from other fields or arbor margins or things like that. So they're bringing in the um, infection initially. And then you have the secondary infection, which is when the aphids that are, are within the field start moving around, start feeding and continue to spread the virus. And secondary infection will be particularly important in those years or locations with mild conditions because um, the period of time with those aphids can be spreading the virus is longer. Uh, now, when you talk about how long does it take for an aphid to inflict the damage? So the acquisition, which is uh, how, it, how it takes up the virus, and inoculation, which is how it spreads the virus into the crop, the amount of time that takes will vary between the different aphid species and then between the strain of virus they're, they're spreading. But it could be, for example, you know, um, for paddies, some studies have shown it only takes 15 minutes for it to take up the virus and then it can start uh, transmitting it within 15 minutes on the next crop. And then it will be different for different uh, aphid species and for different strains. But we're talking, you know, 15, 30 minutes um, up to, that would be like the, a certain proportion and then up to, you know, two hours, there'd be more, six hours, there'd be more. So from the point of view then of the, of the, I suppose, the total quantity of damage, can we say that the primary damage is more harmful than the secondary damage or vice versa or are they around equal? Um, in the milder winter, you'd be more worried about the secondary infection because it's that extended period of feeding and spreading virus. I suppose the challenge is at the start of the season, you don't know if you're going to have the year that's the primary infection that's the worst. You know, in a cold winter, it'll be the primary infection because it's whatever infection you get initially, because then the aphids will be killed off by, say, frost or snow or whatever and stop spreading virus. That's your, you know, that'll be your primary infection is most important. Then in a mild winter where you don't get that frost killing off the aphids, the secondary infection may be more important. So it okay. would depend on the year um, and it's hard to know what side of the year which you're, which you're going to get. Okay. So you have these aphids flying in, they're, they're, they're landing on the leaf and they're, they're sucking away on the, on the sap out of the leaf and they're, they're causing infection. So there is natural predators out there. Is there any of those beneficials that can come in and if you like zap out the uh, aphid before they do damage? Okay, so you've got... Um, a range of, of natural enemies that would feed on aphids. So you've got things like ground beetles and spiders and parasitic wasps, um, and, and they'll be active in the autumn. But in the winter, it would have to be, you know, for some of them, like parasites, you need to have a, a milder winter for that. I think the challenge is, there's a number of challenges with that. So yes, there's there's definitely beneficials that feed on aphids. The challenge is, is that um, whether the aphid has enough time to transmit the virus before it's attacked by the natural enemy, is one thing you know even if it kills it has it already, has it already spread the virus another thing is that the aphids may be reproducing faster than the natural enemies and so it might be challenging for the natural enemies to keep the aphids at a, a lower level if they're if they're um, breeding faster because because the aphids um, can clone themselves so that's the challenge there so so you're kind of saying they're good but we can't overly rely on the mitre I think the problem is we don't, because we have no thresholds um, for, we don't know the amount of aphids it takes to spread BYDV. So when you look at something like aphids on the ear, um, you've got a threshold in place. You know how many aphids per ear can cause economically significant damage. So you can give the natural enemies a chance to, you know, you, you'll often see mummies on the ear where the parasitoids have, um, have killed the, the aphids. 
Um, so you're able to follow that along and see if your numbers are going up and going down and know where you're safe or not safe. The challenge with BYDB is we have no threshold in place and we know that a small number of aphids can spread virus. So it will be challenging to know when your natural enemies are keeping it at the level you want. But certainly there's natural enemies that that, that will feed on aphids. It's just about um, keeping them at a level that is good enough to prevent yield loss. And, and we don't know the level of aphids that is yet. Okay, as with all these things, it's easy enough to look backwards, but looking forward, yes, is, is, is it, that there's a lot. It's quite complex. There's a lot yeah. uh, happening at one time here. Okay, so in in this back end, we've had, I suppose, fantastic weather. Really, and I suppose that's where that's playing into the aphids' hands a little bit. But I suppose as part of that, there's been a very much an increased planting of cereals into a reduced tillage or a min till type scenario, uh, where you have more straw on the ground. I think I, I do. I remember there was a bit of work done in Oak Park where. The research was showing that that had some sort of beneficial effect as regards um, BYDV or aphids. Yeah, so Tom Kennedy um, has done a number of different studies on mintill versus conventional tillage for um, BYDV and, and the associated yield loss. So in one of the studies uh, that was published in 2020, it looked at three different seasons. Um, and in one of those seasons, so 2001, 2002, there was a significant difference um, from the BYDV and yield loss. And the grain yield in that year for mintil was better than conventional tillage due to the mintil having less BYDV than the conventional tillage. Um, then he did another study that looked at uh, 2001 to 2006, but um, the improvement in grain yield relative to conventional, sorry, yeah, for mintil relative to conventional tillage was not significant in that study. So it was significant in some seasons, but not all, all seasons. So it, there's not a consistent message, but um, certainly there's patterns that the minimum tillage would have less aphids and less BYDV than conventional tillage, but that didn't always translate um, in grain yield differences. I suppose maybe we're talking about some of the beneficials. It's it's uh, it's it's maybe uh, going a little bit towards that way and and and, and yeah. all the bits and pieces to help. But is it about beneficials or is it about something else that the aphids don't like about Mintel? So one element um, Tom Kennedy looked at was he also had a straw um, on the plots. So he had a Mintel versus conventional tillage with and without straw, and the ones with straw had a, a better effect. And the idea is that. When an aphid is flying, um, when you don't have that contrast between soil and crop, it's harder for them to land and spread virus. So you you might often see in the edge of, of plots or crops along the edge of tram lines and things like that, you get a bit more BYDV because um, the contrast between soil and, and crop is more stronger. So it's easier for them to see and to land. So the idea is, um, you know, in Mintil where you might have more debris or, you know, straw or things on the ground, it might be harder for the aphids to land and, and then to spread virus. But it's just not consistent uh, across years. Um, but there is, there is idea and suggestion that, that there's benefits there. Sounds like that saying where, um, you know, where, where some people like to eat with their eyes. It kind of, kind of sounds a little bit like that, in fairness. Okay, so um, then the other issue, I suppose, that, that that is out there, and I know we've talked about it before, and it's that issue around resistance uh, or insecticide resistance in some of the, the aphid populations. Has that changed, Louise, over the last couple of years? Um, and, and do we have a, a handle on, on it or where it is in 2021? Yeah, so um, we have a number of projects looking at that. And I suppose our most recent data on that was testing the cereal aphids, so the, the grain aphid, 
in the suction tower samples. Um, so it's the grain aphid, Cytobina vini, which is the aphid in Ireland that's been found to have partial resistance to pyrethroids, which you, people have often heard referred to as KDO or knockdown resistance. So in 2020, the aphids collected from the Old Park Tower and the Ashtown Tower were tested for this um, KDO resistance, partial resistance. And 22% of the grain aphids in Old Park were found to be carrying the partial resistance and 18% of the aphids in Ashtown were. But it's important to note that this is partial resistance, so they have one copy of the resistance gene. It, there's no sign yet of, of full resistance, but we are continuing to monitor for this. And Louise, if, am I right in saying that that is a bit lower than it was in the past, I think, is it? Yeah, but not, not massively lower, but it certainly isn't um, going up anyway. Yeah, I think previously it was about 25%, but it's that was, but they were in field testing, so testing colonies in the crops themselves. This is testing of um, migratory aphids, of so flying aphids. But we've also done a study this year that um, tested 50 fields around the country to see what the level of resistance is like um, in the grain aphid populations. And we should have that then for the Tillish conference in January. So that'll be a nice update on what's happening on the ground as well as what's happening with the migratory aphids. Okay. So uh, given the year that's in it and everything we've said so far as regards aphids and, and, and the potentially the amount of aphids that are around this year, mm-hmm. and we do talk about integrated pest management where farmers should um, do various different monitoring and bits and pieces, but given the year that's in it, is there any real point in a farmer doing any of that? Just to just go out and whack on an aphid side regardless anyway? And well, I think it's always advisable to walk your crops and, and to look for pressure. Because I suppose as we were saying that the disease pressure can vary with geographical location. So, you know, for example, if you're planting later, but it's mild weather, you might want to know, are you getting that pressure anyway, because you're in a, in a high risk area and maybe then you, you'll need a treatment. And why it's also important, I think, to walk the crops and look for those pests is if you've applied an insecticide and you want to be sure it's been effective, um, you need to walk the crops to see if, you, if you've had kill or not. Um, so I still think it's it's advisable, even though we would consider, you know, at the moment, it looks like there's going to be pressure there. Um, it does does vary with field and it does vary with location. So it is important to know what's happening with your own crop. And as, as you say as well, it's very important to get back out after you've applied as well yes. to see what the story is as well. Yeah, see if you're, if you're satisfied with the control you got, exactly. To do with the resistance. So mm-hmm. I suppose getting on to the meat of it then, just in terms of, you know, we have crops out there that were sown in the last week or so, or maybe last two weeks of September, all the way up to crops only being sown today. Mm-hmm. What sort of strategies, I suppose, general strategies are there, um, are we recommending for farmers in terms of control of BYDV? Yeah, so our advice that we're recommending is based on two sets of, of research. So Tom Kennedy's research in the past and also our newer research that's been completed in, in the last number of years. And they both suggest the same um, advice, which is good, so it's consistent. So it's showing that where you plant early, which obviously isn't advisable, but is unavoidable in, in some situations, where you plant early, so like September, your crop is at higher risk because the aphids could still be flying and moving because the cold weather, you know, hasn't arrived yet. So in that case, the crop may need two sprays. So um, one uh, early spray at the two to three leaf stage and then again in early November. If the crop wasn't planted till October, um, it should, you should hold off till early November and, and do your single spray then. 
Um, and then if the crop is emerging later, such as those emerging in November, it may not need a spray because the idea is that the temperatures drop then and aphids are less active. But again, that's why it's important to walk your crop to see if that's the case. If it's mild weather, are the aphids less active? Are you in a high risk area? Do you still have a lot of aphids active? So that's the general advice, but obviously it would be um, field dependent too. So Louise, the early November date that you mentioned a couple of times, that's that's an indicative date in terms of that most years, one with the other, the level of uh, aphids flying at that stage is pretty well stopped. Yeah, so that, 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 that's based on like uh, a lot of previous research that, that suggests that um, on average, the weather tends to drop and it's below the optimum temperature for aphid flight. So the idea is that when you get to early November, aphid flight should have be tailing off or should be ceased so you're not having those aphids flying in to your crop and that's the idea there of why we say um november but what our newer trials so from 2016 to 2019 i think i mentioned before we've done trials in um carlo and cork looking at different treatments in winter barley it did show that on average um if you don't get out in november for maybe the ground conditions aren't acceptable or whatever um, a spray in January can still is still effective. There was no significant difference between them, you know. So when that mild conditions is there, if you didn't get out in November, it's still working out in January, and that and that's agrees with what Tom Kennedy showed in the past as well. Okay, so Louise, we're after getting a huge amount of information there. Find the final question I just want to ask is about the there is a new insecticide out this year called Transform, mm-hmm. um, and this can be used for the first time in in the autumn this year. Maybe you might just give us an idea about um, whether any farmer actually needs to use it, because I think it is a bit more expensive. And if a farmer is going to use it, what's the best way to use it? Yeah, so in the trials that, that I've mentioned, those trials of 2016 to 2019 in Carlow and Cork, we tested Transform alongside pyrethroids and neonicotinoid seed treatments. Obviously, we don't have the neonicotinoid seed treatments anymore, but it was good to compare um, the efficacy of the newer chemicals and pyrethroids to, to the seed treatment, which people were quite satisfied with control they were getting from the seed treatments. Um, so we found that yeah, Transform um, works as well as pyrethroids and as well as um, seed treatments. There's no significant difference between the control given by, by any of the chemistries. So that would say to us that um, when a farmer needs to apply two insecticides, so in those really early planted crops, it would be good maybe to alternate chemistries from a resistance management perspective because um, pyrethroids and transform are a different type of chemistry. Uh, so it, it can be good to alternate your chemistries to help protect them. Um, another thing is, I, I think the transform can't be used until November, I'm pretty sure, based on the label. So if you're needing to, you could go out with your pyrethroids first and maybe follow with your, your transform. And then if you only need one chemistry because you planted um, maybe in October, you could use either. They both um, would give, on in, in general, give um, good enough control. Okay, so uh, it's it's a useful tool in the toolbox, if you like, but not mm-hmm. to be all an end all to it. Really. No, it's That's always good to have. Um, it's always good to have additional options, you know, so that you're not relying on one and and putting pressure on that chemistry. But it it's important to note that that doesn't mean we should go doing extra spraying. You know, it's still the same number of sprays is sufficient, and um, it's just which chemistry you choose to go with. And if you need more than one, you can alternate them. Okay. Louise, that's brilliant. That's a huge amount of information in that. And I think if uh, people might have to go back and listen to this podcast a second time to kind of get all, all the nuggets that are in there, 
Thank you very much for your time, Louise. We'll, we'll certainly come back to you again because I think there is, you have an awful lot of very exciting uh, research that's, that's going to be hitting the streets hopefully in the next uh, couple of years. So we'll chat to you again. Thanks, Louise. Perfect. Thanks, William. So that's it for the Tillage Edge. And my thanks to Louise for joining me in the podcast. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more Tillage news and advice.